Welcome to the Conceive Baby podcast, where we give you access to leading international fertility experts across all aspects of fertility and preconception health to help you conceive and carry a healthy baby. Here's your host, naturopath and nutritionist, Tasha Jennings. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Conceive Baby podcast. Today, I'm speaking with expert guest, Dr. Alice Huang, about the important topic of pap smears. So yes, we know a regular pap smear is important, but what do the results really mean? What are they screening for and what impact does it have on your fertility and the progression of a healthy pregnancy? Dr. Kiang will be answering these questions and will also be sharing with us the new screening methods and why they're not officially called pap smears anymore. Now, Dr. Ellis is an experienced, specialised gynaecologist who's been training or working in the field of gynaecology for the past 15 years and working in the field of infertility and the IVF for the past 10 years. Dr. Huang specialises in IVF and fertility treatments, fertility preservation and egg freezing, ovulation induction and cycle tracking, endometriosis and laparoscopic surgery, fibroids and myomectomy surgery, abnormal CST and colposcopy, PCOS, abnormal vaginal discharge and recurrent vaginosis. Dr. Kuang's professional practice is not just built on evidence-based medicine, but also on a holistic understanding of the individual. She understands that it's the small things that make the difference between good and exceptional medical care. She is equally comfortable conversing in English as she is in Mandarin, of which I am very envious. Ich spreche ein bisschen Deutsch, but I do envy those who can speak multiple languages well. Welcome, Alice. Thank you for having me today. Well, thanks for taking your time out of your busy schedule to talk with us today about this really important topic. So as you mentioned, uh, they're not really called pap smears anymore. What is a pap smear and why has it changed? Yes, you're right. It's no longer called a pap smear. I think most of us do still call it a pap smear though. Um, Formally, they're actually called cervical screening tests or CST for short. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we call it different name now because we're looking, we're doing, we're actually doing more tests now um, on the smears. So the process of taking a CST is still the same as a pap smear. We still need a vaginal examination and we take a very um, gentle smear of the surface of the cervix, but we're doing more tests. So we used to do pap smears where we look for cells um, that are changing. So we have normal cells on the cervix that would de- can develop something called dysplasia. So that's sort of precancerous changes, if you like to think of it that way. And some of the dysplasia can actually change into cancer in the future in some mm. high-risk women. Mm. So pap tests or pap smears used to identify the women who have dysplasia. So we can let, um, identify them as high-risk and we monitor them more carefully to prevent them from going on to become cancer in the future. So CST now actually ends, um, do more tests to actually ask for one more question and ask about the HPV virus, the human papilloma virus. So CST doesn't just look for abnormal cells, now it actually looks for the HPV and also look for cell changes at the same time. 
Okay, so HPV and cell changes. So what is HPV and why are we screening for that? So HPV stands for human papillomavirus. Uh, it's a very common skin virus. Uh, it's more than 100 subtypes out there. And some are associated with skin warts and some are associated with cervical cancer. So the CST uh, screens for the higher risk HPV that's associated with cervical cancer. Okay, right. So it's really screening for progression of cancer. So it doesn't say you have cancer, it's showing the progression. No, yes. Yeah. So with all screening programs, what we, we don't want to look for cancer because yep. once you've already got cancer, it's too late. What mm. we're trying to do is catch them before they become cancer. Uh, so the you know, thing to remember is that from, for cells on the cervix to go from normal to cancer is actually a very slow process. Okay. It can take years and sometimes decades to develop cancer. So the idea for CST is to identify higher risk women at this end. So the ones that have the H, higher risk HPV, we identify them as a higher risk population and we monitor them more frequently. Hopefully, then we can identify the subgroup of women who are at a higher risk with dysplasia that can develop cancer into the future and then we treat the higher risk women so that to prevent them from getting on to become cancer in the future and what does that treatment mean so if people first of all i guess don't be concerned it's not cancer that you're getting the results actually made but what is the treatment and when do you treat what results are you looking at what sort of dysplasia yeah what's a bad result and a good result and how do you treat it so when ultimately what everyone's worried about is cancer Mm. the cells of the cervix becoming cancer. But what CST um, identifies and concentrate on are the stages before cancer. So the cells, as I said, can be normal or there can be dysplasia. And dysplasia can be low grade or high grade. So the idea is that can, uh, normal cells can develop low grade changes. Low grade changes can move on to high grade changes and high grade changes can move on to becoming cancer. Mm. And we find that majority of the um, the cases where the normal becomes cancer, that that process majority is facilitated by persistence of the HPV virus. And this is why we're looking for the HPV. So the longer you hold on to an HPV virus, the longer the cells have time to develop from normal to low grade, low grade to high grade, high grade to cancer. So the idea is that the cells are normal. We leave, we just monitor, but we do leave the woman alone so that um, hopefully they can clear the virus in the future. Mm -hmm. If we have low-grade cells, we tend to leave them alone as well with more frequent monitoring as in you don't need treatment because we know that majority of women will clear that virus before that low-grade has any chance to become high-grade. And even if it does become high-grade, it's still not cancer. So we're not too panicking about that. Whereas if you have high-grade, we still know the majority of women with high-grade changes, the cells can still um, go back to normal when we clear the virus. But if we hold on to the virus for too long, that high grade can go on to become cancer in the future. So it's the high grade women that we identify and we try and treat the high grade women by removing the high grade cells from the cervix. So we don't treat the root cause of the, um, of the situation. The root cause is the virus. We can't treat that, but we can remove the high grade cells if we identify them so that we leave nothing in the body that can go on to become cancer in the future. 
So with the HPV, there's, as you mentioned, there's no treatment for it. We do naturally clear it from our body. Uh, what can we do, I guess, to support ourselves? First of all, not getting it is the aim. And if we do have it, what can we do to help our body eradicate that, that virus if there is no treatment? Yeah, so we do have um, an immunisation program for um, kids in high school before they become sexually active uh, because we know that the higher risk um, HPV, especially um, uh, uh, contracted through sexual exposure, sexual activity, mm -hmm. uh, barrier contraception like condoms doesn't actually stop 100% the transmission of HPV because it's a skin virus so we can't cover the skin completely but what we can do is to, um, we can offer HPV vaccines to um, uh, kids in high school for boys and girls in high school hopefully before they become sexually active so it protects them against a higher risk HPV. Uh, we currently give them Gardasil 9 which mm -hmm. protects against nine strains of um, HPV and the idea is that once they've gotten the vaccine when they do become sexually active that if they become exposed to those, um, those HPV, they won't get those HPV. But even if they do become exposed to HPV, still nothing to worry about. Um, more than 90% of sexually active population would have exposed themselves to an HPV sometime in their life. Mm. So it's, it's almost considered a natural part of being sexually active to have an HPV. So the good news, as you mentioned, is that we do, most of us, clear an HPV um, with no treatment in time about 80% of us within the first two to three years of exposure. Um, things that we can do to help facilitate that is to look after our immune system. The, the more robust our immune system is, the, the faster we can clear a virus. And the faster we clear a virus, the less time the cells have a chance to move on to the next stage, the next stage of development. One thing that we really should avoid is smoking. We know that smokers are three times less likely to clear a virus, the HPV virus, compared to a non-smoker. Mm. Uh, so with all my ladies, whether they're trying to fall pregnant or not, I would, uh, and they're smokers, definitely um, talk to them about another good reason for stopping smoking uh, because it will help them clear the virus a, a lot faster if they can stop the smoking. Yeah, I like to hear that. So getting healthier, stopping smoking, I guess, stop putting the toxins in your body, all the lovely nutrients, good food, zinc, vitamin A, vitamin C, all those things to help our immune system along is the best treatment for HPV. Now, you mentioned the vaccine obviously is given to teenagers before they're sexually active. Is this something we can take is, as we're older? It's Yes and no. Uh, yeah. the, all the studies and the way that's designed obviously give, offers maximum protection to um, people before they become sexually active. Mm -hmm. So what that means, like any vaccine, it's really only useful if you get it before you become exposed to the, vac um, the virus. It does protect against nine strains um, of the HPV. So if someone has already become exposed to all nine strains of the HPV in the vaccine, then the vaccine will not be helpful. Yeah. It's very unusual to come across someone who has already had all nine strains of the HPV in the vaccine though. Mm. Um, and uh, so when I do see women with um, uh, high risk um, HPV or abnormal cells, I always do talk to them about the vaccine. It can offer partial protection, as in it can offer you protection if, um, uh, uh, for the strains in the vaccine that you haven't become exposed to before. Um, 
So, you know, younger women, I would actually, and younger women who I would think that they may have different sexual partners in the future, I would say would be more useful. So older women who, you know, already in established relationship who's unlikely to become exposed to newer, uh, new strains of HPV may not be as helpful in them. Uh, things to think about when we're thinking about vaccine out of high school is that it is no longer uh, not um, supported by the PBS program. So what that means is that uh, it's not paid for by the government. Yeah. Uh, so there may be cost implications for the three injections uh, that you need to have a full course of vaccination. Right. So it's a course. It's not a once-off. It's a course of vaccination yes. that yeah, yes. is not covered. Yeah. So if you've been exposed to HPV, do you develop antibodies? Can you be re-exposed um, to the infection and get it again? Uh, the, I think the truth is we don't exactly know. Um, mm. it, it is a virus and our immune system um, do to some extent give us protection through antibodies. That's right. Um, but um, there has been some suggestions that you can uh, get reinfected by the same strain of HPV. Um, but that is not a common uh, uh, situation in nature. Mm. Um, and the thing is, you know, the vaccine really only protects you against nine strains where there are more than 100 strains of HPV out there. Right. That puts it in context. So lots of strains that we, so we still need to be very careful. So vaccine obviously isn't a go for your life, you're not at risk. It's still something you need to be aware of. And I guess when we're talking about it in relation to fertility and pregnancy, if anyone has had an abnormal pap smear, you know, during their twenties and now wanting to conceive, or what are the implications for fertility and, and healthy pregnancy outcomes? I think the main message is that, you know, uh, being up to date with your cervical screening is the best thing you can do mm. uh, before you fall pregnant. Or um, Having a cervical screening tests uh, is very safe in pregnancy. So it, um, we have special cervical brushes that we can use in early pregnancies, very safe to do. Um, but if we do have HPV or develop abnormal dysplasia cells, and if we need further monitoring or further procedures, it's going to be a lot more difficult in pregnancy. Mm. And so um, even though the CST itself, even though abnormal smears, has no implications on falling pregnant and no implications on staying pregnant, um, but further monitoring procedures are more difficult, um, uh, and more difficult to interpret, more difficult to perform in pregnancy. As the best things we can do is to make sure that we have an up-to-date uh, up um, CST before we fall pregnant, and then you want me to uh, worry about it while you're pregnant. Excellent. So it really should be part of that preconception screening. And I know we've, we've talked offline a fair bit about those three months prior to pregnancy and getting yourself healthy, preparing, you know, the, the nursery, I like to say, you know, we, we spend months and weeks painting and decorating the nursery, but the most important nursery, I guess your baby will ever have is the one inside you. So the preparation, nurturing all that precious DNA as the eggs developing and HPV and, and CST screening really should form a part of that preconception screen, getting yourself healthy in preparation for a healthy pregnancy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. First steps to having a healthy baby is to be the healthiest version of yourself before you fall pregnant. And I absolutely agree with you. Uh, the three months before you even start trying to fall pregnant, very important in getting, um, you know, talk to um, um, Specialist, um, making sure that you have all the uh, tests and uh, screening up to date, breast examinations, you know, looking at your lifestyle, and making sure that you know um, 
uh, CST and all that's up to date. It's very important. Yeah. So as soon as you start really thinking about having a baby, is it's never too early. I think as we, as we said, it's never too early to see someone like yourself or to see a naturopath like myself and, and get yourself healthy. I love seeing patients that come to me saying, oh, is it too early to see you? We're just thinking about having a baby. You know, no, that's the perfect timing. It's also never too late. If you have been struggling, you have been trying to fall pregnant, getting these type of screens and, and getting your checks to see what may be causing any issues is, is super vital. So never too early or never too late to, to give Alice a call and, and get these screens. But in general for women, we hear sort of, you know, two-year screens, five-year screens. How often should we be getting these updated? So the current recommendation is that we start CST when we're 25 years older. So we don't tend to um, start screening uh, younger than 25 unless there are other risk factors. If there is no high-risk HPV and no other abnormal symptoms like abnormal bleeding, so bleeding between periods or bleeding after sex, then it's every five years. So that means that we feel, feel very, comfort, very comfortable that in the absence of a high-risk HPV, that we're not going to have normal cells develop into cancer within five years. And one of the good things about leaving five years is that even if you do contract HPV at the beginning of the five years, hopefully... In that time, we're going to clear that HPV. So we actually don't know about it. We don't even think about it or worry about it. Yeah. But if we do have a higher risk HPV, then we'll be ending up doing yearly smears um, to make uh, and uh, screening for the cell changes to make sure that uh, while we have that HPV, the cells hasn't had time to move on to low grade, high grade and, and, and beyond. And so if the cells are normal and low grade, we tend to leave them alone because majority of the cases, they will clear that virus within the 12 months and then the cells will go back to normal. If it's high grade, even though we still know majority of them will clear as the virus is clear from the system, uh, we would treat the high grade so that we leave nothing in the body that has a chance to move on to the next stage. So getting your regular, getting them up to date and obviously a screening preconception is going to be good in your preconception kit. But I guess if someone has, you know, listening to this and they have had abnormal pap smears or CSTs, we now call them, or HBV, I guess the, the good news is there's no long-term implications on fertility as long as you get yourself healthy. Obviously, we hope you stop smoking if you're thinking about having a baby. But improving your health, getting a good diet, boosting your immune system, you know, taking a good prenatal, like diacetyl nutrients, that it reminds me, I must give you some more samples for your, your patients, but a good <laughs> prenatal multi, get your zinc, um, yeah, take your diacetyl nutrients three months beforehand, getting yourself healthy and in a good position to fight off the infection and go on to achieve a healthy pregnancy, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there any other implications for pregnancy? If pregnant women, I guess we talked about the screening in pregnancy. So if, if you do need a screen in pregnancy, it is okay that you can still get screened, but you're unlikely to treat during pregnancy. Yes, we prefer not to. If we can delay treatment, we prefer not to do that in pregnancy for obvious reasons. Um, so it's, the best thing is to actually screen, make sure it's up to date, make sure you know, all the screening procedures. So if we have um, high-grade, uh, if, we, if we're worried about high-grade changes on the CSD, we will not just go straight into treat. We actually have a, another procedure called colposcopy um, okay. done to confirm if the, there's a presence of high-grade. 
Uh, so colposcopy is a vaginal procedure. It takes about 10 minutes to do in um, a gynecology uh, clinic. And it's a magnifying look at the cervix. Um, so a, a, a CSD is just a blind sweep of the a general sweep of the cervix. A colposcopy is a targeted look at the cervix where we um, wash the cervix with different chemicals like acetic acid and iodine. And that's um, uh, aiming to show up changes or dysplasia cells that we can uh, send off for further testing and confirm if it is high grade or, or, or not. And, and it's only if when we confirm that it is high grade on um, pathology that we do treat. So the colposcopy, when we do that, we usually need to take a small scratch of the cervix, a little biopsy of the cervix we can send away for testing. Mm -hmm. And if uh, you happen to be pregnant at the time of doing colposcopy, which is still doable, but we prefer not because uh, one is harder to interpret for the doctor, two, it's also more uncomfortable uh, for the woman because when you're pregnant, it's just all more sensitive down there. And um, also, if we do need treatment, we don't really like um, uh, interfering or, or cutting into the cervix while someone's pregnant because we can uh, place additional risk at that pregnancy mm. yeah so another reason to get it done early so Absolutely. the first step is a pap smear or cst you know as it's now called but as we sort of said people still calling it pap smear so we'll, we'll use both but if there are abnormal changes it just means then you move to the advanced screening so the colposcopy which is a bit more i guess involved First question I usually get asked around these things, is it painful? What is it like? How long does it take? If, if they do need to go into that next step, what is, what's involved in a colposcopy pain-wise and time-wise for someone? Yeah. So it's a very minor procedure, but uh, I think that the worst part is the anticipation. I think most mm. women, when they turn up to my clinic for colposcopy, is very anxious. Mm. Um, it really is a five to 10-minute procedure. Uh, from the woman's point of view, it's kind of like a pap smear. Uh, it's just a very, very long pap smear, essentially. Uh, we start with the same uh, instrument, uh, the speculum that we put into the vagina to have a look at the cervix. And then the cervix will be washed with acidic acid, which is vinegar. So it's going to feel wet and sloshy. Uh, because it's acidic, it can feel a bit irritating on the vagina, so a bit burning kind of feeling. Uh, that usually settles down within sort of five or ten minutes. Uh, then we wash the area again with um, iodine and the um, iodine doesn't, um, doesn't hurt. It's just wet and sloshy again. The coposcope is a magnifying instrument that sits between the legs, but it doesn't touch the woman. So it looks scary, but it doesn't touch the woman at all. So the only thing that the woman can feel is a speculum examination, which is exactly the same as a, a pap smear or CST. Uh, if we need to take a small scratch of the uh, skin of the cervix, um, and good news is that the, the nerve supply to the external surface of the cervix is not very rich. Uh, so it's not really uh, perceived as pain. Most of them tell me they either don't feel anything or they feel something like a draggy, so crampy feel like a period-like cramp. And that usually settles down very fast within a few minutes as well. Um, heat packs, Panadol, Nurofen, things that people usually do for period pain, very effective for that pain if it doesn't settle down. Um, and that, that's pretty much the, the whole procedure. Yeah, so there's good news on, on a lot of fronts there. So don't be nervous about going and getting your CSD, getting a screening, getting a workup. And if you are thinking about falling pregnant, if you're trying to fall pregnant now, or if you're you know, struggling to fall pregnant, get a good workup, get your CST done, 
get yourself nice and healthy, get a good preparation in those three months. As a, I like to say it's the best investment in your child's future health that you can ever make. You know, forget the $50,000 school fees later on. This is the best investment in their future health that you can do. So get that home and that nursery that you're creating for your baby nice and healthy, which involves uh, some of these screening tests, which can be nerve-wracking for women. We don't want to have you know, things poked and prodded. We don't want to get tests done sometimes, but great to hear that it's not a painful procedure. It doesn't take long and the long-term benefits on fertility, pregnancy, and your obviously future health is so, so important. Absolutely. Anything else that you'd like women to, to leave with them with today who are perhaps, you know, in the nervous category, looking at pap smears, but trying to fall pregnant? What's your, your best advice to someone who's, who's looking to fall pregnant soon? I think just reinforce exactly what you say. You know, before you fall pregnant, there's a lot we can do to prepare ourselves. Um, if we're the healthiest version of ourselves before we fall pregnant, number one, it makes it much easier to fall pregnant. And number two, it makes the pregnancy a lot easier as well in terms of, you know, a smooth uh, course. And number three, it makes the, um, the chances of having a healthy baby uh, very high as well. So um, as you said, it is an investment. Um, you put in the work before to prepare and then the, the rest of the journey is going to be much easier. Excellent. I love hearing that. So just reinforcing the message to get healthy, get, see a professional and get your screens done, get a good workup of your blood tests and your screening tests so that you know you're in a great place moving forward to conceive and carry a healthy baby. Absolutely. So thanks very much for joining us again, Alice. I really appreciate you taking your time out of your busy schedule, especially on a weekend. <laughs> so thank you very much. And I look forward to speaking with everyone soon. Bye. Thank you very much for having me. Bye, Bye Alice. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Conceive Baby Podcast. To help you move forward on your journey to pregnancy, I've created your free fertility checklist for you. This checklist provides simple swaps you can make that can have a significant impact on your chances of conceiving and carrying your healthy baby. So be sure to head to conceivebaby.com.au forward slash checklist to download your free fertility checklist today.